We are in the middle of a, a walk through some of the Psalms uh, through the spring and probably through and into the summer. We'll walk through a couple of dozen Psalms. We are, this week we come to Psalm 13. Uh, and I was, I, I've said from the beginning, the Psalms are an inspired prayer book. That it's in the Psalms that the Holy Spirit has inspired uh, prayer in the life of His people and then it's recorded and captured for us that we see in the Psalms the expression of almost everything that your soul and your heart and your mind might experience expressed in inspired prayer in the Scripture. Uh, And the psalmist is honest, as we're going to see this morning. It's one of the beautiful things about the Psalms is that it unpacks uh, without censure, you know, without without um, you know deleting and out the stuff that's unpleasant or you know oh you really shouldn't have said that or oh wow you know do you say things like that to the Lord he pours out his heart uh, to God and it is helpful to us as we come this morning uh, to a psalm that moves from weeping to worship it's a short psalm that moves very quickly quickly from desperate complaining to a determined worship and we want to follow uh, David, as he goes through this, this process, um, let's uh, read God's Word. Psalm chapter 13, just six verses long. Hear then the Word of God. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? How long, O Lord, must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me. O Yahweh, my God, light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing to Yahweh because He has dealt bountifully with me. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word that is living and true. We thank You for these inspired psalms and songs of prayer and worship. We thank You for the honesty that we see. We thank You that You know us well. And that You condescend. You know that we are but dust. And You know our hearts. And You lead us from our hearts to worship. So come now this morning and do that. Lead us from our own complaining places and our own despair and lead us into worship. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love David's honesty. We need some honesty. In the church, amongst and between ourselves, we need more uh, truth-telling of where we are, that we struggle, and sometimes we're angry, and sometimes we are confused, and sometimes we complain. David is honest with the Lord. He writes his prayers. I don't know if you have a journal. I have a journals go back 25 years, and it's speckled between my reflections on different passages of the Bible to stuff I'm struggling with in my life to a lot of places it's just praying. It is just me writing out my prayers. A lot of times I get in touch with my own soul by writing out. You know, I'm praying about something when I start writing it out and I don't know, there is something good and helpful about that. David writes out his 
His prayers, His worship, they're songs, but they're so personal, so real, so David, he pours out his heart, and in it, the Holy Spirit teaches us about honesty with God. I don't know that he wants us to be here, I think we have to be careful in some ways, but really, if this is where we are, that's what we need to tell God. We just need to be honest with him. But there is a beauty and wonder that as David does so, his anguished complaining turns into a song of praise. By turning away from himself in prayer. And we see that in the middle of the psalm. And we're going to get into the details in a minute. But you see the angry complaining really. Or the despair. I don't know how you would describe it. But it's clearly complaining. He goes from complaining to praying. And so we see this turn away from himself in prayer. And in his prayer he feeds his faith. And as he feeds his faith by meditating on God's promises and God's faithfulness, it changes him so that when he rises from his knees, he's a very different man than the one who fell on his knees to begin with. His heart is in a new place. His mind is in a new place. He fell there in desperation and he rises from there in worship. And we see in this very short six verses, in this very short span, did the circumstances in that, I don't know how many minutes it would take to pray that prayer. Not even a minute. How many seconds it would take to pray that prayer. Did his circumstances change in those seconds? They did not. I doubt. What changed was his heart and his mind. Right? He was changed. In these moments of prayer and reflection, meditating. He was no longer a slave to his negative emotions. He was no longer a prisoner of his despair. He was no longer trapped in, the, in himself. But we see that he begins with this cry of abandonment. That's where he does start. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I be taking counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my life? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? How long? Four times. How long? There's this palpable sense of abandonment, of loneliness, of aloneness between Him and the Lord. Where is God? That's in His cry. Where are you? Have you abandoned me? I don't sense your presence. All of us have been there. That's one of the things. There are certain places in Scripture you read it and you say, yeah. You know, Romans 7, I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. Who will save me from myself? If anybody's read that and not said, I know what you're talking about, Paul. Anybody who reads this and doesn't know it, you are an exceptional believer who hasn't felt and said at some point, either that or you're very young, there's time, that you will know this cry of the heart. How long, O Lord, where are you? Did you forget me? Just hiding from me? Did you abandon me? Am I on my own now? Is that how it is? Will you forget me forever? I've endured so much. I can't take it anymore. How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long am I going to feel abandoned in my circumstances? When you do feel abandoned in your circumstances and you wonder where His presence is, there is a good, I think, encouragement to take from that, that you crave His presence, that you miss His presence, that you long for a sense of His return, that you want to know that He is with you. You miss His love and His care, but that missing it is a sign of life. Right? That missing it says there is something right, that you long for Him, and that you miss a sense of the presence. Those who don't know Him don't miss Him. Right? Those who don't know Him don't particularly want a sense of His presence because it interferes with all their other thoughts and things that they go on in their lives. But the, that desire for His presence and the knowledge of Him in our lives is a sign of life for His people. His absence is pain. Right? For His people, His absence is loneliness. And that soul cry, how long and where are you, is a good thing. It's an honest thing. How long must I take counsel in my own soul? How long will I be a prisoner of my own thoughts? How long am I stuck with just myself? My own advice to me. How long, O Lord, will I sorrow in my heart all day long? How long do I have to suffer? How long is it going to be like this? And you not help. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long am I going to lose this battle and have his foot on my neck? How long am I going to be down under and living in defeat? How long? How long is the sister of why? Hard questions to answer. Not often that we actually get answers. But their soul cries, desiring God's presence and understanding Him. But the problem with these questions, if we dwell in them too long, is we end up obsessing within ourselves. Those are questions that very rarely does God speak loudly and say, Two more weeks, brother. That's it. Can you hang on for two weeks? We don't get that answer. It might only be two weeks, but we just don't know. Or why? It's because I'm working all things together for the good of those that I love, and, and I love you, and I'm working on something good, so hang tight. You know, we don't... The answers, I mean, in some ways, they're, they're in here, and, and in another way, stepping back, we're not going to get that answer. Why? 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 How long? They're, they're brother and sister, those questions, but the problem with them is we end up obsessing over ourselves and our circumstances and, and that we're in them and that we're not out of them and we want to be out of them, but we're in them and, and we live in this, this thing, this what I would probably call a, a closed loop. You know what a closed loop? Like There's nothing coming in from the outside. right? It's, it's the tape I'm playing in my head. And I play it and I play it and I re-taste my bitterness and I rethink my problem and I rethink that I'm alone and I don't feel it. And I rethink in this closed loop of complaining. Let me just tell you this. If all you listen to is yourself, 
to your own unbelieving, complaining voice? If that is all that we have, if we are stuck in that closed loop of bitterness and complaining, we all get there. Don't get me wrong. We all get there. But if, if that's what we have, if that's all we listen to, we are trapped in a pit of despair. We're trapped in ourselves. And David shows us the way out. And we all get there. And that's why I love that he includes it. It's not been, you know, purged out. Yeah, you know, good Christians, they don't complain. Or good Christians don't cry out. Or good Christians don't wonder where God is sometimes. And why He hasn't showed up. Or good Christians don't complain about the fact they have sorrow all the day long. And it's been hard. And I don't know what you're doing in my life. You know, it's there. Because it's here. And what's true of one is true of a thousand. And we struggle. And He shows us the way out though. I do believe that there is a way out of this pit. We do get there. But we don't have to live there. I don't believe we're meant to live there. We need something from outside. And so David does the right thing. Add this way out of this pit into joy and into worship. He gives us two things in these next two sections. And you really see it's even in mine, they're divided into three sections. Verses 1 and 2, the complaining. You know, verses 3 and 4, the desperate praying. And verses 5 and 6, which is the standing on the rocks of truth. Right? Clinging. Climbing up onto the rock of truth. So, 3 and 4, David gets out of himself into desperate praying. Right? And this is the right thing and the good thing because we have to get out of ourselves. My friends, we are our own worst enemies. And sometimes our thoughts are our own worst enemies. And when we entertain them and give them authority in our lives, then we live under their tyranny. Right? We have to get out of our own heads. We have to reach out of ourselves. Get out of the broken this loop and see it broken. In other words, we have to lift our eyes. That's the image the Scripture often gives. To lift our eyes. Right? To lift off of the ground, off of the earth, off of my circumstances, off of myself, off of my problems, like to lift our eyes, to lift, metaphorically, our hearts unto the Lord. To go to Him. To see Him on His throne and there plead these things with Him. David is not just complaining. He's praying his anguish. Which is what we should do with it. We should cast our cares on the One who cares for us. And he takes his anguish to the Father. He cries out as he says, Consider and answer me, O Yahweh my God. Yahweh is His covenant name. The name that He gave to Moses. The one that we're to know has sent us, so to speak. And He cries to Him, Consider. That word can be, you know, look on me. See me. Right? Consider this, this one. See my trouble. Know my pain. Hear me. Answer me, O Yahweh. Hear my cry. Right? Which is a confession. And we always ought to be confessing this. It ought to be part of our prayer. In fact, it, it is the confession of praying. When we pray, we are literally confessing our helplessness. I'm stuck. 
And he'll even say it. And if you don't unstuck me, I'll die. Right? He's even he say, I'm going to die. Right? And there's this thing in prayer, this turning to God that says, you are the answer. I know if there's an answer, it lies with you. So he lifts his eyes. And he says, consider me. Hear me. You answer me. My help comes from you if help is going to be found. It's Psalm 121 where that, that whole image, I lift my eyes to the hills. I lift them up from the valley of the shadow of death. I lift them up from my circumstances and from myself and from my, my thinking and complaining. I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from Yahweh. He made the heavens and the earth and He is still the Lord and He reigns over the circle of the earth. He is my helper. There is none. My friends, where does your help come? From where does your help come? Because if you know that it comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth, then you will pray and you will cry out And you will plead. And you will pour out and be honest before Him. You will turn to Him. He lifts up His heart to His Father and He says, hear me. See me. Verse 3, He says, light light up my eyes. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest I die. Like I'm dying over here. Light up my eyes. You know, when the, the light in the eyes, and you can tell when someone is down or when they're up, there is a light in the eyes. Jesus refers to that unless, you know, the, well, unless the light of your eyes be truly light. Unless we are, we know that when we're depressed, when we're down, the light can go out of our eyes. You can see the hope leave someone's eyes at times. You can see hopelessness, right? And this is the expression the light is going out of their eyes. There's no hope in there. No reflection of light in there. Right? The light has gone out of my eyes. Light up my eyes. Restore hope to me. Restore joy to me that my eyes would be bright with hope and joy and peace. Light up my eyes. The light has gone out. Hope is lost. Revive me. Save me. Or I'm going to die. And you must do it. You must lift me. My enemy is going to gloat over me and rejoice over me. Over your child. Don't let it be like that. Don't let our enemy triumph over your child. Whatever our problems and however bleak they are, one of the key things that happens, no matter, again, whatever or wherever, one of the key things is whether we turn toward or whether we turn away. Whether we pull in or pull back. And what we see, I think, is always the right thing. Do you know where to turn? Do you know who it is who must hear us in these times? And David is being honest about his pain and frustration, but he doesn't turn bitter and angry, because bitter and angry we tend to turn away. And it just continues the loop, rather than to turn toward. Instead of becoming bitter, David becomes desperate. And I think it's a fine line, but it's one we have to walk and to seek. That David, instead of becoming bitter and angry and pulling away, 
blaming God and keeping blaming God, he knows he turns toward, he becomes desperate and seeking, and he begins to look for God. I want you to show up. I want my eyes to to be lit again by the presence and the hope that comes from knowing you. He turns towards Yahweh. Complaining, yes. Wrestling with Him, yes. But with God. Wrestling with God. So often we we pull away. We isolate. And, And it shows up. It shows up in, in, in our response to the body of Christ in the church itself. When we're pulling away from God and when we're angry or we're upset or we're struggling or whatever it is, we tend to, we tend to turn our back on God. We're mad at Him. Not going to talk to Him. It's what we do to each other. Mad at you too. Not going to talk to you. That's, we, we, we model it. We sort of mirror it in our relation, relationships. And I see it all the time when people are struggling and they're struggling with the Lord, they disappear from fellowship. We pull away. I tell you, brothers and sisters, don't pull away. The Scripture says turn towards. Tell, tell us your sorrows. Tell us your struggle. Tell us your pain. There's a place that says sometimes when my week is, is small and is failing, yours may be strong. You can pray for me. You can pray with me. You can speak the truth into my life in the way I need truth spoken. You can point me in the right direction. You can preach the Gospel to me in a way that I can't see it right now. The light is going out. But when the light is out, my friends, press in. Don't pull away. Right? Turn towards. Don't turn your back. As David does this, as he turns and he simply clings in desperate prayer to, to the Father, wrestling with Him in prayer, God answers His prayer. And I want to reiterate again and to make clear, he doesn't answer his prayer by changing his circumstances. I don't believe in these six verses that anything changed in David's life from verse 1 to verse 6. But what changed was the man himself. And my friends, this is the glory of what God offers us in the Scripture and in Christ and by His Spirit, which is faith, hope, peace, love, all of these things despite circumstances. That He is always God. And whether we experience that deliverance in this life or in the life to come, we will be delivered. And that there is always hope. That there is always a brightness to be experienced and to make our eyes shine. David is not delivered from his circumstances. He's delivered from himself, from his unbelief, and from his complaining heart, and from his lack of faith of not seeing and knowing what is true, even in his struggle. And that's where he goes from here. He finds freedom to live by faith and not by sight. He finds freedom to not be a slave to his own feelings and his own negative cycles. He finds hope in the presence of God in the midst of his struggle. And so he gives us three rocks in these last two verses, 5 and 6, as he moves from his complaining to his desperate praying, and then he clings to or pulls himself up onto three rocks. And he stands on them. Three biblical truths that he reflects on, and they set his heart and his mind free. The rock of God's steadfast love. The rock of His salvation. 
and the rock of His goodness. Unchanging, eternal truths to which you can cling and climb onto and stand on at all times, in all places, even in the hour of our death, we stand on these rocks. And they're always true. And we can die with a smile. In a sense, I'm going home. And it's okay. Don't weep for me. I know you may weep because you miss me. If you were in my life in that way, but don't weep for me. I have, I'm going home. These truths that are always true, they can have power in our souls. They can speak like Jesus speaks over the wind and the waves and the storm that tossed His disciples about. And these are the kind of words that speak peace. Be still. And there's peace. The rock of His steadfast love. It's an interesting, He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. Right? Kind of notice the but I. Despite my circumstances, I've prayed enough and I don't give up. I've prayed enough that I, there's this emphatic, uh, this emphatic shift in his thinking. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. You know, my enemies are going to triumph over me. It's horrible. It's horrible. To praying and wrestling with God too. But I, I will not give up. I will not be overtaken. I will not go down. I will... I will cling. I will trust in your steadfast love. And this shift, this, this steadfast love is the translation of one word in one Hebrew word, and it's it's sometimes translated differently, trying to capture the meaning of it, because it's 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 a love, but it's more than a love. It's what we usually think of or talk about as God's covenant love. Covenanted love is a little bit different. I mean, I love you, but I've covenanted with my wife. Right? And there may be things or whatever, but I've covenanted. Right? And I will never leave you nor forsake you. Through sickness and in health. For better or for worse. For richer or for poorer. Till death do us part. That's a covenant. My love has been covenanted. It's been, it's been, it's been rocked out there in a way. You know, and, and that's just me covenanting. When God covenants, you've got a whole other story. Right? He's better than me at it. <laughs> he is really good at covenant. Um, so he, this is his covenant love. This is the love he has covenanted with his people. Sometimes it's, change, it's, it's his unchanging love or his uh, everlasting love or his, or his steadfast love because it doesn't change, right? It, it, it is faithful love. It is, it is a powerful thing. And he says, I don't give up here at the end of my rope. I'm going to cling to your covenant love for me. I'm going to trust. I'm going to, by faith, when all circumstances may be whatever they are, I am going to trust in your covenanted love to me. Because you promised. Faithful, unchanging. Given to me in Christ before the foundations of the world. I believe it's what he's describing in the New Testament in places like Ephesians 1. Paul describes it in verses 4-6. to He says, In love, 
He predestined us for adoption in love, in a chesed. He's covenanting before the foundations of the world. He, in, in love, a love that He gives us that we haven't deserved, we haven't even existed. He covenants, He predestines us for adoption as His children into His own family, daughters and sons, through Christ, His life, His death, and His resurrection, and all of His atoning and rising and justifying and redeeming power through Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glory, which... He has blessed us in the Beloved. He has loved us in the Beloved. The Beloved is Jesus there. He has loved us in Him. He has predestined us in Him. He has adopted us in Him according to His purpose. This love, this steadfast, eternal, because it comes from before the foundations of the world. And that's what it says right before this. Before the foundations of the world, He chose us. In Christ, in love, He predestined us. This is a steadfast, unchanging, unfailing, covenanted love. Covenanted in the blood of Christ. Purchased and sealed the covenant in blood. It's steadfast. David doesn't know the fullness of what this means yet in Christ. In in all that God will do for us in Christ and how it will work its way out. But he knows God and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God has covenanted with David and with His people. And He knows enough that He says at the end of His rope, I will cling to your love for me. I will believe it. doesn't feel like it. doesn't look like it. Things aren't changing the way I want them to change. You're not doing what I think you ought to do. I don't like where I am. I don't, whatever it is, but here's the thing. I know you love me. You have covenanted your love to me. You are a God who keeps covenant. And I will cling to that rope till I die. You can cut me up into a thousand little pieces and scatter me abroad. Still, I will trust in your love. You will raise me with Christ. And on that day I would be in your presence. In love, he answers. This love answers all of David's complaints. I mean, you could stop right here. Will you forget me forever? I have covenanted my love to you, like Isaiah 49 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, it happens. It's contrary to all human nature, but it happens. It says, even if they may, even if these forget, yet I will not forget you. More steadfast than, the, than a mother's love for her child is my love for you. Did he forget Jacob? No. After his deception and after all that he did in his, in his exile? No. Genesis 32, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of your steadfast love and faithfulness to me. I haven't earned it. I don't deserve it. Even here in my exile, running from my brother, God is faithful. Did he forget Joseph in an Egyptian prison? Genesis 39, but the Lord God was with Joseph and He showed him His steadfast, covenanted love. And He gave him favor. He was in prison. Did God get him out of prison? Not right away. He languished there. He had those prayers. I'm forgotten. Have you forgotten me? 
God eventually delivers him. But in the midst of it, was he forgotten? No. He was loved. Favored. Psalm 6, Turn, O Lord, and deliver my life. Save me for the sake of Your steadfast love. Psalm 25, Remember me. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to Your steadfast love, remember me. His love, His salvation, and His goodness. Let me wrap those up in a tight, quick thing. His salvation. Right? He says, My heart will rejoice in Your salvation. Let me just say, no matter what is going on in your life right now, I don't care what it is, if you're going to die next week, I don't care, there's worse, as worse as it can possibly be worse. If you know Christ, you have an eternal hope and a glory that far outweighs anything that life can bring. In other words, I'm His child, and though He slay me, yet I will trust in Him. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because... Because I have the hope of a life eternal. That, that this life is short. It's a vapor that is waiting to pass. It's like, a, it's like a flower that springs in the morning and it dies at night. And this life, I know it seems so long and it seems so hard. I know, but I have an eternal hope that will never, ever fade. I can rejoice in that on my best days. And I can rejoice on that on my worst days. Because on my worst days, it's still true. God has loved me. He has saved me. It is always true. And I can lift my eyes. If I can lift my eyes off myself long enough, I will see Him seated, reigning, ordering my life, drawing me to Himself. His goodness. God is good. All the time, God is good. He's working all things together for our good. Marvin Dawn says, God will never withdraw His support from us. It may seem so when He does not grant us what we ask or take away our seemingly interminable sorrow, but His infinite wisdom and His love are always present with us. They are always true. They are always on our side. I am always His child. I am always in the Beloved. And I always have a hope and a salvation. In the midst of sickness, He is good. In the midst of depression, He is good. At the moment of our death, He is especially good. He has dealt bountifully with me. If He takes me this moment from you, He has dealt bountifully with me. It is always true. If I can lift up my eyes and just see Him, if I can get out of myself, I would know it. Let me just leave you with one final encouragement. God tells us that He rewards those who seek Him. And I think that's the point of this psalm. Hebrews 11.6 tells a great chapter on faith. Living by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11.6, He says, Whoever would draw near to God must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And that's what this psalm is trying in many ways to tell us. Wherever you are when you're in the depths of despair, wherever you are, God rewards those who seek Him. Now, He may not change your circumstances. He may. Or He may just do it later. You know, in, in a sense, that's irrelevant. But God will reward those who seek Him. He might just deliver you from yourself. And let me tell you, that is a great deliverance. It lightens the eyes and gives hope to the soul and changes everything because it changes us. 
And He rewards those who seek Him. Because He lets us find Him. Deuteronomy 4.29 with that thought. It's a statement to Israel. He said to Israel, you know, you're going to the promised land and there's a day that's going to come that you're going to get far away from Me. You're going to, you're going to prosper. Or you're, going to, you're going to have all this stuff that goes on and the day is going to come when you get far away from Me. And His promise was simply this. Deuteronomy 4.29 If from there you will seek the Lord your God with, you will find Him. If you search after Him with all of your heart and all of your soul. Will you turn toward Him and not away? Will you press in and not pull back? Wherever you are, will you seek Him with the faith and the knowledge that you will find Him? Father in Heaven, we thank You that You have loved us with such a steadfast love. We thank You that You have saved us with an unchanging salvation that is an eternal hope that never perishes, spoils, or fades, but is always true. We thank You that You are good. And even in our troubles, You are working. You are present. You never leave. You never forsake. And that You will save us, O Lord, save us from ourselves and from our own thoughts. That we might rejoice in the God of our salvation. Amen.